This morning's passage comes to us from a part of the Gospel of John where Jesus, knowing that his time is near and his crucifixion coming in the morning, sits with his disciples. And for four chapters through John, chapters 13 through 17, Jesus brings to those disciples the assurance that even though he will die, he will not leave them orphaned. Some of that part is reminiscent of many of the funerals that we hear when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many rooms or mansions. And the assurance of that is that even though Jesus will soon be leaving them in his death, he will not leave them abandoned. He will leave them the presence of the Holy Spirit and also leave them the hope and the vision that they would again unite. This passage that I'm about to read comes to us where Jesus steps away from his disciples and has prayer with God, his Father, God. And in a deeply emotional way for us as we hear this, he prays for those disciples that they will not feel abandoned and disconnected and alienated. And he also prays for us as the people of God in the church, that we too will have that same experience of belonging even though Jesus may not always be as present as we wish. Before I read it, I just want to share that it reminds me of while in Atlanta, a middle-aged woman who was dying of cancer asked if I would bring her two boys and husband to the hospital so that she could share with them how much she loved them and that she would always be with them whether they felt her or not and that they would one day unite. And the power of that gift, that prayer of that young woman to her family is parallel to the power of Jesus' words for his disciples and for us. May we hear this gospel then with that understanding. Jesus prays, but now I am coming to you, God, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy and that joy may be complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they did not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I ask not on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am you, 
may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me again and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks ago, I preached on the epidemic of loneliness that seems to be all over our culture these days, especially in the West, and how important it is for us to own that sense of loneliness that we all experience from time to time and to differentiate the difference between being lonely and being in solitude or being still, as Jeff so lovely sang today, being still and knowing, two different things. But until we're able to be still and find solitude, we will always be lonely in ourselves because we cannot completely become who we are authentically until we get to that quiet place, that inner place in us where the image of God is, is born. And that takes silence and quiet and awareness and solitude. Today's passage is almost the mirror image of that. Instead of calling us into solitude and loneliness, Jesus is calling us back into community, which is the next act of the play, calling us back in together as one body, each of us. He's calling us and, and calling for God to help us not experience the despair and the alienation and the loneliness of feeling abandoned by God or by Jesus or by our loved ones in whatever way. And in that call out for us, he's calling for God to give us strength to reconnect in a sense of oneness that's metaphysical, that's, that's organic, that's beyond even our understanding. It's, it's greater than the sum of the parts. Jesus begins this whole passage by washing his disciples' feet. He says, I go to prepare a place to you. He says, I will not leave you stranded or abandoned, but with the Holy Spirit. And then he prays. And he prays that they will always know that they belong to Jesus, to him, and to God, and that they belong to each other, and that nothing in this world can separate them. And he prays that they will know that in their living in the way of Christ, they are not living in the way of the world, for they are no longer of the world, they are of the Spirit. The one thing he wanted them to know is that they still belong to God, and each one of them was included in the unity, the oneness, of all of God's love. I don't know about you, but the need to belong is huge. Our longing to belong 
And in fact, the pain of not belonging, it seems to me, outweighs the joy of belonging. If you've ever been excluded or alienated or left out, many of our younger school teachers can tell us about these young kids and how they may experience being bullied or end up sitting at the school lunch table by themselves or no one will befriend them for some reason that makes no sense. It could be the color of their skin. It could be that they have a funny accent, according to these kids. Whatever the reason, that sense of not being included in the community is so painful because we all know what that's like. Growing up, I had plenty of opportunities to struggle with the issue of how to belong. My parents moved a lot for business sake, and I was always a new kid in school. And I began to develop an ability to learn who to connect to as soon as possible so that I would fit in. It didn't always work right. As I think I've said before, on my first day of class, my first grade, I connected to the worst influencing kid in the school who led me over to the fire alarm where he decided that he was going to pull it down just for fun's sake. This is first grade, and I'm just sort of standing beside him because I needed to belong to somebody. So he reaches up. It was a joke, apparently, and a teacher grabs us both, whisks us off into the principal's office where in those days we got spanked with a ruler. He literally pulled my pants down and spanked me with a ruler, and I got sent back to class completely humiliated as tears were coming down my cheeks. I knew what it was like not to belong. First day of school, and I resolved never to do it again. And so I became the overactive class clown, distracting everyone, but I was liked for that, even though I spent most of my second and third grade in the cloak closet being disciplined. I got transferred again in fourth grade to a high level of social standing that I was overwhelmed by. All these people at this new school, I was transferred because, unfortunately, my parents, to their fault, felt like the integration of the school I was in was more dangerous than putting me in an all-white highly socialized, rich elementary school called Myers Park Elementary. And I came from across the tracks. And I had to figure out how to fit in with these kids who all wore Ouijans, and I didn't have any. And all had Gantt shirts, and the girls had all villager shirts. You, if you're old enough, you know what I mean. And every day at recess, I had to face the fact that I may or may not get chosen on the team until I was able to show some athletic gifts, in which case then I became chosen. But I knew what it was like to be rejected again in school. And again in school in seventh grade, I moved to a new school and had to find my way in. And athletically, I was able to do it. And again in 10th grade. And then I went to college. And out of the need in me to belong so deeply to something, I chose to go out for a rush in the fraternity houses 
because my father was a Phi Delta Theta, and he wanted his sons to be one too. And my brother was blackballed, my older brother. So I'm going to do this because not only will I find a group I can belong to, I will belong to my father in a way that my older brother did not. And so I literally sold my soul to the devil and was the best pledge in the Fidel house, even though I never went to class. It took me two years to figure out that I needed to give up belonging to that social strata in order to belong at the University of North Carolina and finally graduate, and so I dropped out. Does this ring a bell? All of us and our fear of being left out and excluded and not belonging, oh, the pain is awful. And it's not only a psychic pain or an emotional pain, it's an evolutional pain because for 40,000 years, we have grown up in the wheeling and dealing of our DNA and survival to learn that if we are not in a group, we are not going to survive. We cannot survive alone. We need each other. The Jewish law called the Halakha, based on the Torah, says that human beings, we are caught in this contradiction between our being particular in ourselves and unrelated to anyone else, our own essence, our, my own Steveness. There is no one like any of us ever in the history of the world where each made in the image of God as individuals, and which is why it's so painful when one you love dies, because nothing can replace that individual presence, that particular energy. There is just the vacuum of their selfness that no longer is there. Grief is the, is, is the symptom of how we each of us carry our own essence. But at the same time, we're called and made to be in community and relationship. So you have self and me and I, and you have we and us. And you have this contradiction between who I am as myself and who I am in relationship. And often what happens is, this is so true, we socialize ourselves when, when we want to belong so badly that we give up our I-ness, my particular essence, in order to conform to the body or the group's rules and expectations that you wear the right clothes or that you say the right things or that you carry the right racial biases or whatever the right politics. You give up your I-ness over for the sake of the group. You are no longer living true to that essence of who we were created to be at our beginning. It's the same essence that we claim when we have a child up front and we baptize them and we call them by name. Joe, you are a child of God. Kate, you are a child of God. Each one of us, separately, on our own, individually, a child of God, and nobody in the world ever is like us. And at the same time, at baptism, we say to this congregation, it is our responsibility 
to raise this child up in community and to give this child a deep sense that no matter what happens, no matter how many times that person feels rejected and alienated, they will always remember that they are not alienated from God. And this past week, all week long, with 110 or 20 kids and incredible parents and grandparents and church members and teachers, we drill that into these children over and over and over again that when the waters are rough, God is still with us. And the hope for Jesus, as for all of God's children, is that we can come to understand that specialness of who we are. Not in a narcissistic, grandiose way, always humbly, but special. While at the same time, understanding that our specialness needs to be connected to everyone else's specialness so that oneness can happen come unity and that our specialness is as needed in the community as is everyone else's specialness that's what i love about being a presbyterian our whole governance system is built around that it takes more than one person to make rules it takes a body because each person in their own essence brings their gift but also they're not whole in and of themselves. Existentially, deep down, we are, as one Hebrew scholar says, the lonely man. This fear in us always exists. In a way, it keeps us from getting too close to others for fear that if they disappoint us, we will be left even more lonely. I remember singing a song in ninth grade after one of my many heartbreaks from a girlfriend, the old Simon and Garfunkel song, I am a rock, I am an island, or I'm leaving on a jet plane. I mean, all songs of the wounded cowboy myth off on his own, he can do this alone. And of course, I was only crying out for the fact that I can't that I need others. Now, maybe I'm an extrovert and I need others more than those who were less extroverted, but I think it's an existential reality for all of us, no matter what our personality types. God and Jesus wants us to claim who we are as God's own people. That's our identity. And to connect to all of God's own people, that's our hope. It's the story of the hero's journey for each of us, the individuation that we all must experience, leaving the old systems and families and and places where we felt connected and going off on our own journey. It's, It's Dorothy on The Wizard of Oz She always had it with her to click her ruby slippers and find her way home, but she couldn't, you see, until she had gone through the journey, the hero's journey of differentiating herself from where she came from 
to this new place when she was now free to return home, be in community without giving up her essence. This is the power of Jesus' prayer for us. Ted was talking today about Brene Brown's new book, Braving the Wilderness, and I commend that to all of you. It's about just this journey. The wilderness is when you leave all the structures that gave us our own self-identity and go out on your own and discover that you are a self in and of yourself, apart from all those structures, the solitude. But you also then, after doing that, return back into community a different person. And every Western hero's journey myth, if you watch it, going as far back as the mythology can go from the first story is about that. Because it is so important that we live in that movement between claiming who I am and living together in community. I've been watching the wild, wild country. Ted turned me on to that too, by the way. I'm glad you're in church today, by the way, so you can answer to all these people. So uh, it's about, um, it's a documentary on Bhagwan Rajneesh. Y'all remember in the 80s, Bhagwan Rajneesh in Oregon and Antelope, Oregon, when the Rajneeshians took over the whole city? There were apparently, I'm not sure how many, but 50,000 people came and went in this commune, and Bhagwan Rajneesh was the guru. And as I'm watching this, they're all wearing this sort of orange or maroon color outfits. They're all sort of wealthy, intellectual, academic from all over the country, all of whom choose to give up their own sort of individuality for the sake of the larger commune. Their selfness has been left. Now they have merged into the giant wholeness of undifferentiation determined only by the guru about this is who you are and this is what you'll do. And it struck me, I mean, the question that struck me was why do so many people go to these places? Why are we so attracted to a place where we will belong to this whole group that takes away our own special essence? And it struck me that because we long to belong so much that we're willing for that, but also the world is a very complicated place and these utopian communes promise us peace and joy and happiness and in this case, unmitigated relationships. But above that, they promise us answers. Absolute black and white certainty because what the guru says is now truth. And as soon as that happens, we are no longer living out of our own truthful, powerful, differentiated selves. We are now just going along because we want to belong. It didn't end well. 
I barely remember the story. I was in seminary, and so I was so underwater trying to learn Greek and Hebrew, I didn't pay a lot of attention to what was going on on the outside. But as I watched the documentary, I was reminded of everything that it was about. Jesus confirms to us that we are called to be a beloved community where each one of us is taken seriously and each one of us is still connected to the larger community that makes us one whole in God's presence, in God's love. And in that sense, you see, all of us are called to grow up with that vision. Sometimes it means we have to leave the old places where we belong in order to find a more healthy place. And that's a scary move. But that place has to hold us accountable and responsible as individuals and human beings. And if it takes away that accountability, either on the left side or on the right side, it's a cult. If you know what it feels like, it feels like grace. Grace is the opposite of not belonging. Not belonging is humiliation and shame. Belonging is embrace. So in the fourth grade, I've told this story. This school I had gone to that I didn't really fit in the end of the year and they're calling all the good students to be safety patrol people and I knew that Ed Halls and Emily Wheatley and Ed Pease who were the stars of the fourth grade were going to be called and I knew all the names that were going to be called and I was sitting there in the in the auditorium with the whole school gathered as they're calling the names to come up on the stage and get their safety patrol belts And I knew that I was going to have to steal myself because I wasn't going to belong to that group. And as she's going down the list, I hear my name called. Completely out of nowhere and unexpectedly, I hear my name called. And to this day, I can still feel what it felt like to get out of my chair and to walk up the steps of that stage and be handed a safety patrol belt. It's called grace. And just to finish the story, Ed Pease ended up captain of the safety patrol and Ed Halls ended up lieutenant of the safety patrol and I ended up sergeant. Because that act of love and embrace and grace for me gave me the power and motivation and strength and courage to live up to a standard that I would not have otherwise. This is what it means to be together as Christians. It's not what we believe. It's not how we behave. It's about the fact that we belong So instead of having a prayer, a pastoral prayer today, we're going to use Jesus' prayer that I just read, but say together the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to ask you to, if you don't, if you feel like you're a heretic, if you do this, that's fine. I'm going to ask you, instead of saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, to say, 
I belong to God the Father Almighty. In every place you come to, I believe, substitute the words, I belong to. It's on page 35 in your, in your hymn book. Not hymn 35, page 35. If you can't say it, at least think it. I belong to God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I belong to the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As one people, let us bring forth the gifts of our life.